Hello, Elwood City Limits listeners. It's Will here, and it's time once again for the 13th time we are giving you our season recap of the Arthur season that was here on the Episodic Arthur podcast. So if this is your first time listening to one of these, this is something we do at the end of every Arthur season, where Lucas and I do a separate recording, and on our own, we talk about our feelings overall on the season that was, and give our picks for the top five episodes of the season. So thank you very much for joining us. I want to just put it out there first off that there is going to be a double offering of ECL content this week, both here and on our Patreon page. So, of course, you're getting the ECL season wrap-up, recap wrap-up. I kind of got caught between those two. Uh, Wrap-up, recap, whatever you want to call it. You're getting that free of charge. At the end of this recording, you're going to hear an extended preview of what we have on the Patreon. And that is going to be a review of the final Arthur episode, All Grown Up. Lucas and I talked about it for what ended up being an hour, which was way longer than I thought we were going to go. We have a lot to say. And you'll get to hear a little bit of it at the end when Lucas and I are finished our picks. And then if you like what you hear, all you do is go over to patreon.com slash Limits. All you have to do is plunk down a dollar and you'll be able to hear it right away. It's a good one. So I would recommend that if you're interested, come on over and then you can check out all the other cool stuff we have over on Patreon. So season 13, it got off to a little bit of a uh, weird, a weird start. <laughs> Of course, one of the show's biggest uh, guest stars. And it's funny how the further we get away from talking about the beginning of a season, the more it's like, I can't believe that happened. And yeah, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, eh? <laughs> that was wild. I'm so glad that we got that we kept the show going because I loved uh, Lucas's reaction to the whole thing. Now, we had some ones in there. You know, it, it, there's definitely, you know, I'm just even looking at the the episode chart. I know which ones were the weaker ones, and there were there were a few of them, but there were also some all-timers in this one. There are some episodes in this season that are still remembered today, and so, I mean, obviously, I'm going to bring those up in a little bit, and you had some hidden gems in there as well. I think uh, stuff like The Pride of Lakewood is one that doesn't really get talked about that much, but I was glad to finally get filled in. It seems like it has a soft spot in uh, the hearts of many Arthur fans. And there's a couple of others that I had never heard about before that are definitely making it on my list. It's kind of hard to judge an Arthur season as a whole because it's so, you know, there's hardly usually a through line or anything. There isn't like a unifying theme or like an overarching storyline. And it is just like um, 20 little stories, 20 12-minute stories. So at the end, I mean, of course, we had fun talking about it. I would say this one is a little bit, like, middle plus is what I would, well, and even that doesn't feel fair, because when this show, when this episode, when this season, there we go, was good, it was, it was great. When it wasn't so good, it was very forgettable, and that's kind of where we are at with Arthur, but I'm hoarding these seasons as much as possible. Because I know that before too long, we're going to be entering into a new era of Arthur that is completely unlike anything that Lucas or I have ever dealt with. And of course, I'm referring to the Flash animation seasons. Things are going to get way different. So, I'm. Uh, it still feels like old Arthur to me, which, you know me, I'm 
probably the oldest person who listens to this podcast. Well, one of them. I know we have some listeners who are older than me who are big Arthur fans as well. But I feel like sometimes I feel like very much the elder statesman of like, yes, I, I, I watched season one when it aired, of course, when I was six years old or however old I was. So I know that I have a tendency to um, be more complimentary of the uh, older seasons, season one especially. But there is still a lot of good to be had, and it's really it's really awesome when we come across an episode that is just you know all time good. So let me uh, let me talk about them a little bit. Let's get into my top five for season thirteen. Um, number five. There were a couple of episodes. There were a couple of stories slash episodes that I feel could have gone here, and I decided to go with Fernlets by Fern. Now, of course, one of the th- one of our earlier complaints—not complaints, but just like, oh, I wish they would do this—was um, that they would use the side characters more. And this is another season where I feel like we are really using all of the side characters. Um, quite a bit, and Fern got like at least two stories. That was awesome. This one was way better. Kung Fu, uh, one of my least favorite of the seasons, but Fernlets by Fernlets by Fern uh, was a really interesting one to explore Fern's writerly side, and I liked the sneaky critique of capitalism that made a lot of sense for Fern's character. Um, it wasn't. Uh, I I don't think it's an all timer, but I do think it is. Um, I can be a little hot and cold on Fern episodes, to be honest with you. Sometimes, um, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes they kind of go off in directions that I'm not, um, I'm not crazy about, considering that Fern is one of my favorite characters. But this one was definitely more of my speed. Uh, so Fern episode, good Fern episode, is my number five. Number four, no acting, please. I mean, how could I not? This was so so cool that we got to have this. Um, another Fern episode. And it makes a lot of sense that she would be next to uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Just one of the best guest spots in Arthur history. And we've had some good guests. Not just, like, some cool stunt voice, uh, but we've also had, like, good actors play characters. And this was a good actor playing a character. Of course, R.I.P. to Philip Seymour Hoffman, but... He made it very memorable, but he also served the episode. He didn't quite, like, he didn't steal it, you know what I mean? He made it so that his presence was both memorable and helped the episode itself be memorable. Like, I remember what happens in an episode mostly because of how of how good he was at serving the story. Just a, a real treat, that one, and uh, I smile whenever I think about it. Number three, I wonder if this might be a little bit controversial considering the heap of feedback that we have gotten for it and that we continue to get for it. Uh, When Carl Met George. This is one of those ones that's like, people remember this now. People still think about this. And keep in mind, the episodes airing in this season are over over a decade old. We're only just getting into the 2010s. And this, this one... April 5th of 2010 is when this aired. I have the episode guide in front of me. I don't just remember that. Um, yeah, it's... They really... I think I remember, like, we certainly talked about this in the episode, and we've talked about this in se- across several pieces of content. But I appreciate the effort, I suppose. They, they, didn't get it, they didn't get it completely right. But it's also important to consider it within its own context of the time. And... I really appreciate that they tried, and I think that that's a lot of what you all were saying in your emails and in your messages, were that 
it didn't get everything completely right. In fact, there were some things that it kind of got wrong. But at the same time, you have there's a there's a trust that you place in the show Arthur to tackle these kinds of issues with a I don't want to say kid gloves, but with a softer touch maybe that is meant to bring a better degree of understanding to the mind of a kid or even just a person watching it. I could see somebody older uh, having a better understanding um, of an autistic person or a person on the autism spectrum's uh, life after this. It just can't really end here. This is a, it, it's not a it's it's only twelve minutes. You know, it can't be a complete database. And no person on the spectrum is the same. You know, they're they are all people, so they're all different people. And this is just one um, very specific example. Now, I hope that Carl does come back at some point. I believe that he does to some degree, but it was. An admirable try, I think. It was an admirable first step, and my hope would be that they don't they don't stop. Now, I, I, I don't know if, you know, this subject is broached ever again. It would be really nice if it was. I'm not exactly going to hold my breath, though, but for what it was, I appreciated that they created a character who is very likable, and they gave it to George. And George, I think, is somebody a character who goes along with understanding other people's perspectives. So, um, yeah, quality-wise, I actually might say that I like um, No Acting Please better than When Carl Met George, but I think When Carl Met George is such a lightning rod for discussion that I think it warrants a number three spot. Number two, The Secret Origin of Supernova, the biggest surprise of the season and one of my favorite Arthur episodes in recent memory where we are on the timeline. So imaginative, so creative. I mean, as a comic book fan myself, I was uh, I was very um, entertained and uh, I felt I felt heard in a way. Uh, we had a we had a post recently on our social media that uh, Arthur's character Supernova seems to be visually based off of the DC heroes Adam Strange and uh, Starman. And somebody on our Instagram also said that he kind of resembles the Marvel character Nova, but they managed to create a fairly good original design that's, you know, inspired by a couple of different things. Allegedly, this is all just me kind of looking at it. But it was also just a really great um, celebration of the imagination. I, I Maybe, you know what, maybe it spoke to me because when I was younger, uh, I, I have a... I have a couple of superhero OCs still knocking around in my head that I've always wanted to do something with, but uh, that's a whole other story. But I really appreciated the idea of creating your own superhero, creating your own mythology, and then having the confidence to embody that superhero in a way. And and of course, the whole thing of Arthur being jaded by rampant commercialism, who could have seen that coming? I was so tickled by it. And it's something that I think that I went through as like a, in my 20s, you know? And to see Arthur go through it at eight was just like, wow, it feels like they were talking to a much older me. So this is definitely one that grows with you in a way. <laughs> in a weird way that a lot of Arthur episodes almost don't. I don't know. I just really, really loved this episode. But of course... I don't think it could have been anything other than this for number one, The Great McGrady. It's one of the classic 
Arthur message episodes. They gave it the whole 22 minutes to breathe, and I'm glad that they did. It's something that is really important to talk about for kids. Again, approaching a subject that is a part of normal human life with a very soft touch. They're not going to do they're not going to do any big dramatic swings. There's not going to be any sort of like tear like tear jerker or something. It really is much more slice of life. It's Mrs. McGrady has a cancer diagnosis. Here's how it affects the kids in different ways. Much like the uh, April 9th episode. And they gave that a lot of time to breathe as well. And what I also appreciate is the effort they put in to still make that episode relevant today by making all of those um, those supplementary materials that you can access online. Because this has an evergreen message of like, there is no one right way to feel when a loved one has cancer. And it led to one of my favorite discussions on the show of how well this represented the phenomenon of having a loved one who is sick with cancer. And thankfully, because it's a cartoon, you can end it in a much more positive way. There didn't need to be any tragedy. There didn't need to be any sadness. And really, that was that was nice in and of itself. And it was great to see Mrs. McGrady after that episode with her full head of hair and still as vivacious as ever. So I think they really did themselves a great service here. People still remember this episode for all the best reasons, and I can't imagine how, like, don't get me wrong, the Supernova episodes like, spoke to me a lot, but it's hard to argue that uh, the great McGrady should be number one of the season. So there you go. We're going to be entering into a brand new season once again. I'm really, really excited. I'm excited for what we're going to what we're going to see, and I'm excited for what Lucas is going to say about season 13. So yeah, in just a second, we're going to head it over to Lucas, and he's going to give his top five of the season and any extra thoughts that he might have. Um, then we're going to take a quick break, and then after that break, you're going to get an extended preview of the ECL Patreon exclusive uh, review of All Grown Up. The little preview that I put in there is uh, has to do with some general thoughts about what we thought about the end of the show, and we get into the animal hierarchy. Now, we also go in-depth in the full episode about all of the looks, all of where everybody ended up, and there's some hot takes uh, near the end of that one. So, again, if you want to check it out, patreon.com slash Limits, or you can uh, check out the preview and uh, enjoy the rest of the Season 13 recap. All right, Lucas, how was Season 13 for you? Hello, good evening. This is a special After Hours solo Elwood City Limits recording. I'm, of course, Lucas. Hello. Hope you've been well. Hope everything's peachy keen. We're talking season 13, Arthur, 2010. Long after I stopped watching the series, this is all new to me. Um, and going back and listening to, I listened to some of the episodes we recorded and at least kind of to remind myself of my own thoughts about it and, and how I felt. And I was like, geez, not a lot of episodes in this year's season 13 where I was like, I loved it, you know, um... There was episodes, of course, that I really enjoyed, but no super standout home run, you know, remarkable, big-hitting Arthur episodes. Um, and it makes me wonder. I, I hope season 14 has something that maybe blows my hair back a little bit more, that's a little bit more spectacular. But 
I think this will be an interesting top five because I have a feeling going back and listening to these episodes and me and Will's thoughts um, that me and Will are probably going to have completely different top fives. In fact, this might be the most different our top fives be have be. Oh, my God. I can't even talk, you guys. It's so late. This might be the most different our f- top fives end up being, um, considering from just listening to me and Will's thoughts back. Um, what they end. And I, and I know you guys are probably curious. Okay, Lucas, what are, what are your top five episodes? Get to it. Stop blabbing. Asking you shall, shall receive. Patience is a virtue. Let's get into it. Number five, we just talked about this. The Secret Origin of Supernova. I have a feeling this might be number one on Will's list. Um, and just because it's number five doesn't mean I didn't like it. I really liked this episode as well. I think this is one of those Arthur episodes where... Um, even though the moral is intended for eight-year-olds, a lot of people I know could, uh, <laughs> take a thing or two from this episode. Uh, just cause a product has your favorite character plastered all over it does not mean you need to buy it, folks. Um, and it doesn't mean that you need to just blindly consume and, you know, dive headfirst into fandom at the, at the detriment to your life. Um, and so I liked those kind of sentiments, and the kind of anti-consumerist sentiment that was expressed in this episode. And at the same time, I liked how creative the episode was. Um, lots of original superhero characters. You can tell the writers were really having fun with it. And that fun came through in the episode. Number four! Arthur's number Nightmare. This was actually on the other end of the season. This was one of the earlier episodes we talked about this season. Uh, a really good example of an episode that wasn't an ensemble episode, but was kind of juggling an Arthur A plot with a Buster and Francine B plot. Uh, I like how paranoid and crazy everyone's acting in this episode. I liked lots of good Mr. Haney comedy in this episode. Um, and there wasn't a lot of Mr. Haney comedy this season. So if you, if you want Mr. Haney comedy, which you know, I always do guys, um, this, this is the one to watch. Number three, speaking of paranoia, uh, Prunella and the Haunted Locker. I liked this one quite a bit more than Will. Uh, I thought it was a good use of Prunella as the most superstitious character. Um, and I liked watching this mystery unfold. I thought this episode was legitimately creepy at moments. I liked seeing Elwood City in the 50s, and I liked seeing the Elwood City class in the 70s. Um, yeah, I, I was surprised by how kind of legitimately a little bit spooky and unsettling I found this episode. Uh, given how innocuous I found horror-themed Arthur episodes in the past. Number two, this one really, really took me by surprise. Definitely the most surprising episode of the season, Paradise Lost. Um, One of, if not the best Pal and Kate episodes ever. Um, And it's also great because it's like a logical end to the Kate and Pal saga. When we first started this episode, I was literally, I groaned. I was like, oh my gosh, another Kate and Pal episode. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is like the Kate and Pal episode with the highest stakes we've ever seen. Because um, Kate is having to adjust and learn the lesson of she's not going to be able to talk to Pal anymore. And I liked the end of this episode and the conclusion. Um, it didn't just have this like very one-note happy ending. Instead, it was a lot more nuanced. And it was about Kate growing up. And coming to the realization that, you know, you have to enjoy those happy moments while you can. um, And you can't just cling on to your youth. Or you can't cling on to these things that are uh, impermanent. um, Because that's going to make you unhappy. And instead you have to uh, accept that, you know, all good things must come to an end. And so I thought this was actually a really dense 
Um, well done episode. Sorry if you guys can hear my cat meowing in the background. Number one, number one episode of the season, Fernlets by Fern. A great Fern and Muffy episode. Great utilization of two of the more underrated, underutilized characters, especially Fern, but also Muffy. Um, it's always nice to see Muffy in a positive light. Um, and it's one of those Arthur episodes, much like the secret origin of Supernova, with a transcendent moral. Um, this is an episode that has become more relevant uh, by the passage of time, not less, with hustle culture and the gig economy and side hustles. Um, and this episode is about sometimes doing things just because you don't in just because you do enjoy them. You know, doing things for you and not having to turn everything into a side hustle. You know, and it, it, it's a really applicable episode to our time because look at this show Elwood City Limits is in a way a side hustle but the only reason I do it um I can't speak for Will but I do it because I enjoy it and the second I stop enjoying it you know I wouldn't do it but you guys all make it uh way worthwhile and definitely um definitely worth doing so we're gonna do it till we finish Arthur of course uh but I wouldn't do it without you guys so I thank you for that but I also thank uh this episode for being yeah great fern and muffy moments Great utilization of those characters, and definitely the best moral of the season. And with that, that's my top five episodes. Uh, I know I'm going to get called out for not putting the Great McGrady on here, but Lance Armstrong ruined it for me. It, I don't know what to tell you guys. I, I don't like Lance Armstrong's uh, inclusion in that episode. Uh, so it didn't work as well. What, what can I say? That's my hot take this season. Um... And I can't wait to talk about next season. And also, if you didn't already, if you aren't subscribed to the Patreon, check out me and Will's uh, talk about All Grown Up, the final Arthur episode. I think it's one of the best things me and Will have ever done when it comes to this show. So if you haven't been a Patreon subscriber yet uh, and you're interested to hear, you know, what did we, me and Will think about? Sure, everybody can listen to season 13. Was it? What do we, me and Will think about the end of all of Arthur, season 25? Uh, you can hear that right now at the Elwood City Limits Patreon, and I think it's a really, really excellent conversation. So if you like our stuff, check it out, and I will see you folks um, next week, whatever that means. All right, Lucas, over and out. This podcast is supported by listeners like you, and here's how. Over on our social networks, you can follow us and find the latest updates and some fun photos. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits, at ECL Podcast on Twitter, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com, and Elwood City Limits on Instagram. You can support us monetarily by going over to Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive audio content like our new PBS Kids show, movie reviews, and sneak previews of upcoming content. Support us as well by going to teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood city dash limits dash store or search Elwood City Limits on Teespring. Buy yourself a t-shirt, a tank top, or a hoodie with the Elwood City Limits logo or an exclusive design by our friend Josh. Elwood City Limits is available online at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits or you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. Is it not on your favorite app? Let us know. And you can always help us by spreading the word, tell your friends, and send us a message either on social media or an email elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com thank you so much for your continued support and now let's get back to the show Four, three, two, one.
I think you're right to point out the fact that they have a they're you know they're working under several guns at this point um you know not only was it made a decision that it's like okay season 25 you gotta put you but you gotta put an end on it and they, you know they you're not getting a special you're not getting an hour-long episode you're not gonna you're not getting 30 minutes mm. to wrap it up you're getting 12 and it's like that's gotta be tough uh, for writer Peter Hirsch or for or, uh, director Peter Hirsch or the writers on the episode or anyone else. And what's more, they are writing it on a several-year delay. So I believe the production for this season and the couple before it ended in 2019. Like, wow, so so we missed an opportunity to have Arthur end with everybody getting coronavirus or <laughs> the, which, the pandemic which, ha- uh, hitting. Well, yeah, which means that it's a little bit more evergreen because it doesn't address those, but it's also like a lot changes in three years, and there's a very specific example of where that kind of ends up biting them, in my opinion. So there's a lot of like... There's a lot of grace you have to you have to give this because of what because of what was going on and the way that it was made and just the what they were given. And so I think that they really did the best that they could to have it in this way. It's just hard to not be like, I wish it could be different. So I I, I when I say that, I don't mean it to be accusatory or being mm. like they like they they f***ed it up or something. But they like, ruined my Arthur. Yeah, it's like no, it's like they didn't, and you know I think that that's really the first, the first, the first time they, the first time that you see the episode, it can be hard to catch some of this stuff, and like you really just, it's really reactive, but the first, the second time, this was the second time watching it for me, you know, you get to realize that they put as much in there as they could to let you know that like they like this show as much as you do, mm-hmm. so you know we mentioned some of the references, I took some of them down you know you get to see patrick's chocolate shop for one more time you get to see the mrs fink kid have like a line that isn't that doesn't want to make your pull your hair out we see uh (laughs) alex davidson the character that we called frank for a long time that didn't really have much of a name uh we see buster using his inhaler um when they play that oscar the oracle octopus game some of the questions and i said this at the time sound like the um sound like the ones that they were doing in the popular girls episode from like mm. the girls magazine yes and and, and even uh muffy comments uh this game is so retro uh mm. which i thought was yeah a, a fun callback i, I recognize that as well and um martin spivak was uh that that kind of fake boyfriend that buster imagined for his mother was on the elevator in francine's dream so just like just a few little things like these remind you that like yeah the people working on this remember all this stuff because they've been here since the beginning and i it it felt very much like you know a a very much a tip of the cap so even though you know they might have made some decisions that you don't agree with i think it's just the fact that they have been there for so long and they have this stuff in their heads 
like they've had this in their heads for as long as we have, if not longer. So it means that they really wanted to do this as right as they could. So the idea tying the episode together is that, you know, they go to the library and they find this old board game, ostensibly. I mentioned Oscar the Oracle Octopus, and it's a game that can apparently predict your future. And that's where we get the spinoff of we get some potential futures for Arthur Buster and not not for uh, sorry for Buster Francine and Muffy. And then we get their actual futures at the very end. So first of all, like half of the half of the episode is in the library. Uh, we get an appearance from uh, Mark Brown. Yeah, who's who's immediately recognizable. You see him actually in the opening title card, and I was like, "Oh, that's Mark Brown." Um, and yeah, Mark Brown is in the episode not only to tell them that um, the librarian is down in the stacks, and that's how they find the board game, but later on, uh, near the very end of the episode, Arthur has accidentally taken out a book he didn't intend to take out. A uh, book on how to draw animals, which there's lots of stuff in this episode, Will, about the animal hierarchy. Whoa. That's one question. That's one question. Not only do they choose not to answer, but instead they chose to sow it with even more confusing seeds. Uh, and and we'll, maybe we'll get to that in a second. But continuing on with Mark Brown, uh, Mark Brown is actually kind of this the impetus to completely change the trajectory of Arthur's life. Uh, because, uh, our, as the fates would have it, Arthur ends up becoming a graphic novelist, uh, mm-hmm. who writes a graphic novel called Arthur, uh, about all of their childhoods when they're eight years old. And the implication is that the reason he did that is because he got into drawing animals, well, animals, again, animal hierarchy, <laughs> uh, because Mark Brown, uh, told him, hey, that's a pretty good book. There's some good animal drawings in there. You should read it. Uh, so so this, I thought that and- was cute that, like, you know, Arthur is who he is because of his Arthur. And this is, uh, that was a question that I believe was echoed in the Discord and possibly elsewhere. You know, is Mark Brown playing like God, essentially? Like he is the hand, the invisible hand that has steered Arthur's life, and now he's steering it once more. Like, is he a godlike figure here? I really don't know. I think, you know... It's interesting because in interviews with Mark Brown, the the Arthur character he himself has said, you know, he's most similar to is Arthur. Um, so I like the choice of, you know, Arthur's life kind of mirrors Mark Brown's to an extent in that he ends up creating a, a maybe famous we don't know actually how well that graphic novel works out for him, but uh, a, a famous series of novels. Now, is the Mark Brown character like, yeah, the Arthur come to manifest? I really don't know. Uh, it could be either way. I, 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 in this series, he's not Mark Brown, right? They're not like famous author. Mark Brown has come to Elwood City. It's not like no, the it's, other it's, celebrity it's, cameos. No, it's played um, very coy, and mm, they did so mm. on social media as well. They're just like, they never named him, but it's just like, well. You know, if you know what Mark you know, Brown looks know, like, what yeah. he sounds like, if you know, you know, yeah. Should we well, talk about you, the animal hierarchy before we move on? Let's talk about yes. the animal hierarchy yeah, you, really quick. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you brought it up. So I'll just list. I'll just list a couple of things here. So Arthur accidentally borrows. You're right. It's like the the setup for the episode is like when you don't get what you expected, but it turns out great anyway. That that's that's the line that Arthur uses in the cold open, and to me that was like, you're not going to get what you expected from the futures of the characters, but it turns out great anyway. Which to me was just like, listen. Please calm down. Like, <laughs> Take a deep like, breath. It'll, 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 it'll all be okay. <laughs> Please 
please, please put the keyboard down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. So instead, he accidentally takes out a book of how to draw animals. We get we get a line from Buster. He's I wrote this down. <sighs> this shows you how to draw an aardvark. I never knew their faces were so long. It's kind of revisited when Arthur, like when we when we when we skip forward in time. And Arthur just says, you know, about why he decided to, you know, become a graphic novelist. I just like drawing animals. Yes. Okay. That was the other moment where it's like, yeah, I just like drawing. So this is to the point where it feels almost intentionally contradictory, right? Because we've had me and you have really been going over this animal hierarchy for years now over with a fine tooth comb. But Arthur's always operated under an internal logic that they never refer to each other as animals. They always call themselves people, right? Or at least not with any consistency. They It's usually people unless, you know, Buster wants to refer to himself as a bunny. Right. Or, like, yeah, or, 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 yeah, it, yeah. it flip-flops. So the, 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 well, so, like... As beings, they call themselves people. Like, like across the right. board, they're all people. Whereas the animal thing is treated more like like race or something. Like they'll be like, "Oh, it's a great day for ducks," and there's like duck guys or whatever. Has I was thinking about this? Has Arthur ever been referred to as an aardvark, or Arthur's family referred to as a family of aardvarks? His family, not that I can remember. Arthur himself. A I want well, even that was that was like that like there was no reference made to the fact that that's what he is. It's just mm. like that was just it was just a word, which you know, Ardvark is a little difficult when you're a kid because you can easily forget that there are two A's at the beginning. So, but yeah, yeah, I don't they, think any, I don't think so. Like, I want to say no. So they contradict this kind of established eternal logic in this very episode because. Okay. We see the picture of the aardvark, and it's not a funny animal. It's like a regular aardvark. And, you know, Buster's talking about how he, like, didn't even know aardvarks looked like that, which is kind of crazy because best friend is one. But then I'm like, okay, you know, maybe in the consist- in, in the logic of this show, they're all people. But then, at the very end, when Arthur's talking about how he likes drawing animals, and remember, the reason he became, he became a graphic novelist is because of this very animal book. Mm-hmm. He reveals his graphic novel, and it literally just looks like Arthur. Like it's the, the first. Arthur it's the first style. episode of the show. It's the first episode of the show, exactly. Which I thought was again a very good callback. Arthur getting his glasses, but he drew. He doesn't draw the animal like a non-funny animal, like like a like a non-sentient aardvark, like the one that was in the book that he learned how to draw animals from. It mm-hmm. looks just like Arthur, and then he's also like, I like drawing animals. So I think, Will, if we could use this opportunity, unless we see some other evidence, you know, throughout the next few seasons of the show as we watch, and we want to come down on a conclusion when it comes to the animal hierarchy, it literally just doesn't make any sense. I don't think that there's any sort of... I would love to see if they have some sort of um, uh, show Bible, you know what I mean, with, like, hard and fast rules. Like, the one there was one going around for, like... Uh, uh, Roadrunner, right? Where it's like Roadrunner has to always be on the road, or else he wouldn't be a Roadrunner. You know the mm. the um oh, oh, what's the guy that's tr- Wiley Coyote has to always you know be victim of his own devices. You know all the stuff always has to be from the Acme Corporation. These shows have hard and fast rules that are written down, 
And I wonder if there really is anything for the animal hierarchy other than just be really confusing when it comes to the difference between the bipedal animals and the non-bipedal animals. Because even in this own episode, there's no logical consistency to it. And that's, by the way, that's not a criticism. It's just something that we talk about all the time, and I think it's funny. Um, it doesn't well, make the show any worse or anything like that. Well, and I think that this is kind of where... We, I, th- I feel like we differ from a lot of people in the animation community where it's like, yes, we've had we've had fun keeping this quote unquote question going all these years. And like we can still we can still keep it going and point out the times where it doesn't make sense or it's a little funny. But I th- because I think the real answer is that like you kind of came to Lucas, they kind of just do whatever they want. And like with all the with all the fresh interviews that have been coming out in the wake of this episode or to, to promote this episode, I remember seeing one from Mark Brown that was essentially like, you know, because some people have attributed Arthur himself to being uh, black, to his family being black. And Mark Brown specifically saying that he could be. I don't, like, he doesn't want to come down in, he doesn't want to make that official. He doesn't want to rule that out because he personally likes the fact that the Arthur character's can be anyone. Mm-hmm. Anyone can relate to them, which is which is also another uh, Twitter discourse that's going on right now with the release of that new Disney movie. But the fact that like they are colored differently because they are animals, but you can like other than the signifiers that they put in, like you know, Brain's family celebrates Kwanzaa, uh, Francine's family is Jewish, uh, what have you. You can pretty much put on them what you think works for you, and you're right. So uh, yeah, the, the, and, and the answer the is the answer is is that there's not meant to be an answer, which is really frustrating and not fun to think about. <laughs> well, that's the benefit of making them all animals, right? It gives them this Spider-Man-like quality. You know, Stanley always said about Spider-Man, the reason it's such a universal character is that anybody can picture themselves under that mask. The mask yeah. totally covers his face, so it could be anybody, right? And by making them all animals, it, it's right. Like you can, you, no matter who you are. If you identify with the, the qualities of the Arthur characters, um, you know, their personalities, or, you know, the only thing that, that is very clear is their personalities, as well as, like, like you said, their religion in some cases, as well as their economic status, right? That was something that Arthur's always done really well, is showing people from different economic backgrounds interacting and stuff like that. And that's the beauty of Arthur, is it doesn't really matter who you are, um, if you find some things that are similar between you and the characters in terms of personality, uh, you can very much identify with those characters. So I think it's an asset to the show, rather than a hindrance. Yes, it 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 always has been. So I think the final thing to go over here is where everybody ends up. So I mentioned before yes. that they have, I, and, they have and, a couple. Let's let's say I'll, I'll say this: it's take time, Will. I got takes. I I know everybody so, wants to hear them. I got I got takes. Will.